Welcome to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on Kei Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM, like a broken record, magically repaired. Our guests today are Jeff Kane and Jake Dotson. I'm very interested in kind of what one gets, what, the things that one passively inherits in the world, you know, language, uh, prefabricated kits, things that are kind of ready-made objects. And there's something that's really empowering and thrilling and wonderful about scaling that up to something as big as you are or bigger than you are, because, you know, one of the advantages of this particular style of geometric construction is that you can build really, 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 really big things, way bigger than you are, uh, by yourself. Jeff Kane is an artist, designer, curator, and director of the Shedd Research Institute, a multidisciplinary art, research, curatorial, and design studio in Lincoln Heights, Los Angeles. Jake Dodson is a designer based in Los Angeles and currently has an exhibition at the Shedd Research Institute. This summer, Dotson has been in residence at the SRI to do open-ended research on his practice with vernacular materials harvested from the small grove of black bamboo on the SRI grounds. Dotson also responded to the domestic realities of working in the back of a three-artist household and used conversations with Jeff Kane, Michael Kantopoulos, and Chris O'Leary to connect his work to photography, gameplay, and dark matter. You can listen to us on the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And there you can find out more about the show. Before we get to our conversation with Jeff Kane and Jake Dotson, we're going to listen to a new installment of Notes from the People an ongoing project where we invite the people, past, present, and future, to self-produce a short segment on a topic of their choosing. This episode, we'll hear part two of Melissa Guerrero's notes on the L.A. River. She's a landscape architect in L.A., working to revitalize the Los Angeles River watershed. For the past 20 years, advocates have seen the Los Angeles River as an opportunity to become one of the world's great civic spaces that defines a more sustainable and green city of L.A., In May of this year, the Army Corps of Engineers announced that they would approve an ecosystem restoration plan that will cost $1 billion to construct. As the local sponsor of the plan, the City of Los Angeles has committed to paying more than the typical local cost share of 35%. This willingness to pay more and the backing of a political powerhouse team, including Mayor Garcetti, Senator Boxer, and President Obama, were the key reasons Army Corps approved the $1 billion plan, over the $453 million plan they initially chose. The city's cost share will end up being more about 50%. It didn't get much attention in the mainstream press, but it's a fact that has shaken up local politics. River advocates locked down $100 million for the LA River in the upcoming state water bond, Proposition 1, that will be on the ballot in November. It's supposed to be for the entire 51 miles, but there is concern that the city will try to pocket all that money for the 11 miles Army Corps is doing. Even if the city got $50 million from the state, that leaves more than $400 million to raise. Of course, the fundraising can't happen all at once, just like the construction can't happen all at once. The quicker it happens, the cheaper it will be for taxpayers. A $1 billion price tag grows each year with inflation. There are a couple of upcoming park bonds, one from the state and one from the county, and river advocates will likely lobby hard 
to earmark more money for the Los Angeles River. The revitalization of the entire 51 miles of LA River and over 400 miles of tributaries will continue to be a group effort with local government agencies and nonprofits improving the LA River zone one acre and one mile at a time over decades. The Army Corps plan is a game changer for bolder, more visionary planning in the city of Los Angeles. The Army Corps' plan calls for vegetation and parks within the riverbed and on its banks in 11 miles from Griffith Park to Chinatown. The plan will result in 719 acres of habitat restoration, including daylight streams, marshlands, and wetlands, and the removal of 117,918 cubic yards of concrete. There will be trails, overlooks, and other recreation amenities to help the public enjoy this new green space while also allowing animals and plants to thrive. To river advocates, the federal government's investment in the river symbolizes the dawn of a new era of valuation of public space and natural systems in the heart of the city. It's also a kind of retribution that the Army Corps, which has been villainized for killing a river ecosystem with concrete channels, will now foot the bill and deal with construction headaches of modifying the river shape. The Army Corps channelized the river to singly drain stormwater as quickly as possible out to the ocean in the 1930s and 40s. Now the Army Corps will bioengineer the river to manage floodwaters, but also slow down water to recharge underground water reservoirs and divert water into side channels feeding marshlands that will restore endangered species to the urban core. I hope the LA River will continue to be trendy and citizens will pressure government and nonprofits to green more than 500 miles of the urban waterfront in the LA River system. It will create a great park system, an inland beach that will connect the multiple city centers of our megalopolis. To stay involved, citizens should join the LA River listserv at URL www.laliver.org and click on the subscribe button. This listserv announces all public workshops of river projects where people should go to get involved and express their concerns or ideas for the river's future. The listserv also invites the public to ceremonial events for river projects where our elected representatives are in attendance and are accessible to hear your ideas. If you are particularly interested in gentrification of your Riverside neighborhood, you will want to voice your concerns to your council member and comment on new developments that you feel will displace low-income residents. I hope people will join in the process of shaping LA's public space because it needs it. The LA metro area is one of the most dense and park-poor areas in the country. The parkification of the river could be a cost-effective public investment to provide basic necessities that we all have a right to, like clean air, clean water, access to free recreation, and access to the therapeutic benefits of open space. Beyond the provision of these basics, creating a public space for all Angelinos that connects people engenders social cohesion. Social resilience will be the key to tackling complex problems of the 21st century, like climate change. Scientific solutions are already there for the taking. It is up to society to make decisions to invest in the interest of future communities. If we don't have a communal identity and shared values, we will adapt more slowly and clumsily. An interconnected river system will mean a more connected LA, where there is more intermixing between neighborhoods and more access to more stuff, creating an open city that ultimately just has to be more fair and more just. This is Melissa Guerrero, Observing for the People. Now let's get to our conversation with our guests. Jeff Kane and Jake Dotson, welcome to the people. Yeah, welcome guys. Thanks. Thank you. We are actually recording this episode at the Shed Research Institute. So this is like the people mobile edition. <laughs> Jeff Kane is the director of the Shed Research Institute and Jake Dotson has a show here right now. 
So can you guys maybe briefly tell us, Jeff, about Shed Research Institute and Jake about the work that you have here right now? Yeah? Oh, sure. sure. Uh, okay. Well, the, the Shed Research Institute has uh, been almost a 10-year project of me trying to locate um, uh, my studio practice and curatorial practice and collaborative efforts into a backyard research facility that would um, invite other people to come participate and uh, make projects here. Yeah, yeah, so that was me. I, I was the person who came and did a project. <laughs> um, <laughs> once the space was, uh, was made available to me. Um, and this, was the, this is the first project at Shed Research Institute. Yeah, this is the first official uh, project. There was, some, there was a test run accidentally, but this is a, the first real project that ever happened here. So. Yeah, we like planned it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we should say that it is so named because it is a large and lovely, slightly echoey shed uh, yeah. that's behind your house in Lincoln Heights, mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah, and California. large is, is, is all, of course, relative. It's sure. about 400 square feet. Right. So, uh, uh, which is, for Los Angeles studios, on it, pretty generous. But, um, yeah, at, at the same time, it's not a cavernous space. Indeed. Although it may echo a little. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a nice outside area where Jake's piece is right now. Mm -hmm. Do you want to describe the piece maybe a little bit? Oh, the big one outside. Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, initially Jeff asked me to come by because he's got some bamboo that he planted when he first bought the house and moved in five years ago. So it's mature. Now five years is about the age when you want to start harvesting um, bamboo for structural purposes. I don't know, you know if you knew that, but... but you know, he, to he told me about it, um, and I was excited by the timeline. Um, yeah, so I just came and, and made this big structure with Jeff's bamboo. So um, what is it? It's sort of a mini pavilion. Um, it's pretty mini. It's like a 12-foot a by 12-foot square space frame structure um, made out of <clears throat> octahedral modules. Nice. Yeah, right. So it's a, it's a particular geometric form. Um, in this, you can you can construct it in different ways, but this particular one is uh, constructed from um, approximately equal length, eighteen inches, um, split four-way split um, sections of bamboo, um, and twelve of those together make one of these octahedral modules. And then the octahedral modules link together in a, in a 3D, in a, in a pretty conventional, um, I don't know, they call it face-centered lattice. It's like just cubic, if you just imagine just kind of a 3D cubic uh, array, so mm -hmm. just stacks of cubes in, in three dimensions. It, anything you can make with cubes, you can make with this octahedral system. Um, yeah, and it's just put together with zip ties. It's up in the air right now. It's about six feet off the ground, and I think we're going to lift it a little bit higher. Mm. Um, and we're surrounded by, right now, we're surrounded by smaller scale versions of not exactly the same thing. They're different shapes, aren't they? Are they not? Yeah, they're different. Some are, some are, yeah, they're different. They're pretty, pretty much everything in here is a little bit different. Um, but they're, I don't know, my, so my practice um, uses principally just five 
three-dimensional forms um, and then variations on those forms, which is sort of consistent with Euclidean geometry. It's, it's standard forms. What are the five forms? Uh, so that, well, so they're the five platonic solids. So the, the first one is the tetrahedron, which is the simplest, and it's just a pyramid. Uh, it's got four equilateral triangle faces. So three sides, and then the, the bottom, the base. Right. It's like a three-sided pyramid. Uh, the faces are all identical. Um, the edges are all the same length. If you look uh, down at one, any one of the corners, uh, it would be the same as any one of the other corners. Right. So there's like a uniformity to the structure. And there's a way in which you actually twist the corners of these sticks as they come together, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's different. So these aren't my, uh, the work is, um, is a little different than what people have done in the past with these forms. They're, they're mathematical I ideas. So they, they have kind of a perfection to them that we can only approximate uh, in the built world. Because right. this is still out of bamboo or these, I don't know, what these other sticks that you use. Oh, yeah, those are also like... also bamboo. Skewers. Mm, okay. Those are like teriyaki skewers. Oh, I never <laughs> Tr Trimmed and dyed. Isn't um, that amazing? They're so, so elegant. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can go to a grocery store and pick up, you know, your materials. And then you yeah. just, and then you dye them, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the dyeing, you have to get, you have to be a little more together to get the dye. Yeah. But otherwise, <laughs> you're like $2. Yeah. You, can, you know. Do something big, um, yeah. But the very—I know the variation in the stuff that I've read. Like the, you're saying like the sides are the same and the corners are the same, which is true to a degree. To a degree, yeah. The thing that so I have a background in architecture, um, working in creating building space frames. Right. So it's a, a particular kind. It's like a particular specialty in, in architecture. It's structural framing, and it's high volume structures with um, very little material and they're built using some geometric grids similar to these. With that kind of construction and also with even in the history of mathematics, the kind of constructions that people would do as drawings to illustrate mathematical ideas and concepts, there's a, um, there seems, I, I have identified and reacted to um, uh, an orientation towards perfection so, so like um, getting things as as perfect as possible. So in the in the sort of the, the geometric drawings, that's just incredibly accurate draftsmanship, which I appreciate. Um, in three D um, construction, like space frame construction, that that translates to like a very very low tolerance for errors in the fabrication of the components that make like the large scale structures. And uh, I'm, so therefore to make those kinds of buildings, you're dependent upon industry and industry of a particular scale that can produce these kinds of artifacts. Right. So I was dissatisfied with that um, and have picked up on, on this approach as a way to construct these forms with slightly different information. So like this twist, yeah. the little twist. So the little twist is a deviation from the ideal form, um, but it has added content. 
yeah. and the twist and the twist is the thing that happens when you because we're we're talking about sticks and right. when you construct them one stick has to lay on the side of the other stick right. and depending on which side which stick is on it creates a like a turning motion like if you stack them is that close mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah absolutely yeah yeah it creates and there's there's examples of that i've got lots of examples mm -hmm. of things that emphasize that um so yeah so so there's a turning motion right so um that turning motion can actually be used constructively mm -hmm. so and that's what i'm talking about like using kind of like like taking this this imperfection and it becomes content it limits you if you're doing a drawing if you're doing a yeah if you're doing a two-dimensional drawing or a three-dimensional drawing of a mathematical form if you have a slight error in the position of like a particular point you're drawing out from that point. The error is oftentimes like compounded. Yeah. yeah. So after right. not very long, it's a, it's like it's incoherent or semester. You can't you know you you you're out of the system and and you kind of are limited. It's a similar story with uh, three dimensional construction. Everything has to be has to be right on. So with this style of construction, it's it's highly tolerant such that you can have because of the turning because it's already you're already accounting for some imperfection and you're giving it a direction right so it's like it's like the 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 offset of the um of the vertices like the the, the amount that it's twisted is determined by the the length of the stick which is going to be the same for all the sticks in the group um and the diameter so it's like a it's a it's a it's a formula related to those things um so uh yeah so kind of working within that um sort of initially, um, what did I do? I started like weaving the structures together. So. Yeah, and then you start to see, you start to see like the, the imperfections become actually, again, like a content. You see the wave uh, throughout the, the, uh, the structure. Like uh -huh. it becomes like an element that is and, and, yeah, exactly. And also, one thing I, I respond to that is it's those imperfections that also become the strength of the built form. Like you have these little extra prongs that come out from the, the corners, the yeah, yeah. vertices, yeah. And it's if all of them are rotating left, then they will tessellate perfectly, perfectly with another end that is also tessellating left, and that allows two forms to be bound together. That's, you know, and, and it seems, I mean, uh, Jack, Jake, you'll explain it better and more articulately, but one thing that I find so amazing about that is the kind of pedestrian and the, the kind of glorification of, of pragmatism, you mm -hmm. know? It's like, oh, this actual object, if you, treat it like a real object as opposed to an idealism or an ideal mm -hmm. that it actually uh, behaves in in emergent ways that yeah. are positive as opposed totally. to failures as they'd be seen in math or architecture right. yeah and that and a lot of those ideas I got from my from Jake's my conversations with Jake so mm. so anyway that's those are some and so how did you how did you encounter Jake's work or tell because you guys have collaborated before well, um, right. Uh, no, not, well, not so much. Well, uh, I don't know, Jeff. Yeah. So, so Jake has a had a was a resident artist at the Institute for Figuring. Yeah. And uh, at that time, I uh, had the op I was uh, collaborating with some other artists on a radio project, and the radio project needed 
for us to mount transmitters in various places. And we had, uh, and it was in Portugal, and mm -hmm. I was the only maker or builder on the, the, the collaborative team. So that meant I had no tools, meant I had no equipment. They're basically, I had anything that we could build quick constructions had to be done with total hand, handcrafted available materials. Yeah. And so I, I had no idea who Jake was. Uh, I saw that he was making these amazing forms and he was teaching people how to do them. So I showed up and told him, I, I'd really like to learn your technique. Uh, this is what I would be doing with it. And, and we met up a couple, once or a couple times even, and, and he showed me, he got me started. So I learned, so basically the mounts uh, that allowed people to carry and mount radio transmitters and receivers in this uh, project um, uh, was based on, on Jake's construction method. And it was in the, it, I'm sorry, it was in the octahedral shapes. Yeah, it, yeah, it was the same pattern the as, same, yeah, as yeah. outside. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I selected that structure. I wanted it to be something that, that um, you know, once it, it's, you know, it's temporary, it'll get disassembled. Yeah. But I want Jeff to be able to, you know, I wanted it to be something that, like if he wanted to reconstitute it or to make something different, that he would be able to do that. I am trained. I am now trained <laughs> to execute and fabricate uh, some of Jake's designs. Which it seemed like some of the people participating at the Institute for Figuring, that that seemed like a part of the piece was to teach them how to make, oh, absolutely. Based, based on the photographs I saw, Yeah. right? And so where does that come into like, I mean, people helping you or you teaching people how to make these things and you guys kind of doing them collaboratively, right? How does that like fit into the content of the piece? Uh, well, um, you know, it's, it's really important. Um, so my sort of trajectory um, is, vi so I, I, I was an alternative elementary school teacher um, for four years in a, play, in a radical play-based program. Like beyond Montessori? Way beyond. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Far gone, gone beyond. Sounds um, right. But similar in that, to Montessori, in that if you want to introduce structured content, the best way to do it is through like design manipulatives and, and play that was like, like Montessori, there's centers that are available that teachers will set up that like uh, intend to to sort of convey uh, certain concepts through the manipulation of the sort of the objects that are out, out on display. So that, that was like similarly kind of a way that you could um, teach math to these feral kids <laughs> um, who, you know, were doing math um, yeah. and didn't, I don't know, yeah, didn't, didn't see any need to reduce it into a language that I could evaluate more easily. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, so, so this, partic oh, this particular stick project um, started out as, a, as a, um, a project I was doing. I was tutoring my niece who was homeschooled. I was tutoring her in math and in building. And I, I was working in an architecture studio doing drafting and, and rendering and um, wanted to come up with a project that you could, we could scale that was loose, that was functional, that like you could make something small easily, you could scale that up easily, yeah. that the only tools necessary were hand tools so kids could just do this on their own. Um, so we started with the skewers and, and we moved up with, um, with bamboo. Um, 
and that's that's just like I don't know in 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 the uh, the various ways I'm kind of understanding what I'm so interested in um, with this with this stuff that sort of the the strongest the 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 thing that like I want to make sure gets across. Um, is yeah, is that is like kind of the curriculum content? It's something that it's something that people can can see, they can look at, and copy. Um, you know, yeah. That that. Yeah. So so part of your your practice would be that it's it, that you're not just making this object and you know putting it in Jeff's backyard. It's that it, which is great, but that it actually is like a a, a I mean, it's it's a teachable object. It's a or even in just the process of building it, you're learning math by by participating in that language of math by actually building it. Like I think so. I mean, that's what the, like the teacher in me who was like, I, I, I mean, I was I could be very successful at like transmitting information with mm. kids like very directly, very succinctly, uh, provided I had cultivated a strong relationship with them yeah. over the course of the preceding several years. But bar barring that, um, yeah, like that's, um, that's where it is. Like that's where the, that's, that, yeah, that, that's like, it's, it's not, and it's not, it's not, I mean, it's deeper than you know, it's it's deeper than just a, a way to teach math. Yeah. Um, because it it is that. But I think I think I don't know. I'm really I'm interested in like cognitive linguistics. Um, so this idea that a lot of the la like that language is structured through sort of hierarchies of metaphors, and sort of that some of the root. Uh, metaphorical elements are just embodied um, sensations of structure, of like sustained predictable forms and sort of interaction with those things. So I think that not, not only like, like there's a tremendous amount to being able to like just easily construct something structural easily sure. that's small scale and there's something that's really empowering and thrilling and wonderful about scaling that up to something as big as you are or bigger than you are because mm -hmm. you know one of the advantages of this particular style of geometric construction is that you can build really 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 big things way <laughs> bigger than you are right. uh, by yourself if you provided you have enough space to rotate the objects yeah they're all structural but um but even even more so it's engaging like with these kinds of structures um, that are like re reciprocal structures. So forms that, you know, that when you load them or interact with them, even just tactily, but you can even see it visually, you can follow the translation of that load and sort of the, the way that it deforms the stress throughout the structure and you can see it mirrored at points on the opposite side. It, depending on how sort of complicated the particular form of one of my forms are. Um, so I'm, I'm political, I have a political background, my parents were activists. I, I really appreciate these models as sort of um, expressions of a kind of reciprocal 
structure, reciprocal power that's like able to be present, but that is not um, like delineating like a single direction of the load, like the way most buildings are really heavy, right? You can just, you know, whatever, they're directing a load, it's going in one direction yeah. if it's a, a dead load. Um, or, um, but because you, of the way that these are built, I think I saw an image online mm -hmm. of you like hanging from inside of one of these structures oh, yeah, an and one. you could see like the flex or whatever yeah. and just the force is distributed in a much different way than, yeah, like a straight up and down, you know, skyscraper style thing. And you can, you can feel it. Yeah, you huh. know, you can sense it. Things curve in like a regular pattern. It might not be like parsable or understandable all at once. Yeah. But even by the way that like what you're hold like in what you're holding in your hands are deforming, you're actually get you actually have information, mm -hmm. sensual inf like information right. in the way that that because it's all reactive. It's all this sort of dynamic. Yeah. Um, thing that's happening in the form. So you actually have like this connection through the form. Sure. So, uh, I don't know, I was really impressed when I first started doing this with, I mean, I had been familiar with the tradition of bamboo scaffolding and, um, you know, that there are these just unbelievable, unbelievably scaled scaffolding projects that happen um, in uh, East and South Asia. Um, and I was first initially just really interested in how they did the tying, but um, it's not that complicated. But... Um, the thing that really impressed me when I started to sort of look into that were the interviews with the scaffolding builders, two of whom cited the bamboo scaffolding as safer than the steel. Because yeah. they, they also use steel, like that's an option, like you know, it's bamboo or steel, people are trained to work on both. They prefer the bamboo because they can assess the structure of the bamboo while they're building it. But with the steel, steel fails. You know, the joints fail, generally yeah. it's like be the coupling units. Um, they don't know. They have no idea when that's going to happen. Like they can't assess the structure through feeling it the way that they can with the bamboo. And I, I guess uh, when I'm thinking about like, you know, what, what, how I want to be in the world and sort of participating in the world, it's, it's sort of, it's that residual. It's like, I'm more interested in actually the, facilitating the experience of the scaffold builder uh -huh. than in the, the final and there's a building. there's somewhere in here there's a metaphor for the artist run space versus the institutional <laughs> space there is. and I I'm just like, yeah. desperately trying to put it together in my mind um, and failing um, but, and, and, and I also I wanted to get into dark matter right Yeah. Uh, but we're going to take a little break real quick and then come back yeah. and pick it up
Welcome back to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. We just listened to an excerpt from a sound piece by Yanis Christofides from the first unofficial opening of Jeff Kane's Shed Research Institute. You can listen to The People on the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more. Okay, so we just got back from our informal conversation. <laughs> and I'd like to... What happened in that moment, it was very exciting because, you know, I've been working with Jake now off and on for a couple months and talking about his project. But, it, but the power of having a mic in your face where you are forced to articulate long thoughts uh, was very powerful for me to watch you, uh, Jake, articulate your ideas. And one thing that just caught me as so profound is the lang- even the language you use is so precise in that it just really belies the, the amount of research and context and focus you've had on your project. And, and that, to me, is, is, is very impressive. Oh, thanks. Um, um, so, you know, I guess that brings me to another kind of question is you have uh, also talked about maybe the social applications of, of this building system. You know, because it seems like there's so much, you know, these, uh, this building system is really amazing for people who have time, uh, basic hand skills, and available materials, which can be sourced from a lot of natural sources. So maybe you could tell just, you know, what do you see the future of this particular building system and, and its future applications? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Um, well... You know, I can clearly see all the things that I, I want to make. <laughs> you know, that, that's, or, or at least I can clearly see a lot of things that I want to make, um, including, um, you know, in, including larger semi-permanent structures. But in, in the overall sort of direction and motivation of this practice, um, <clears throat> That I guess that that was sort of an initial limitation that I set on myself was that I wanted to make sure that everything that was done was accessible. Initially, I was thinking to kids, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm. to people who are maybe under 10, don't have access to power tools, don't have any money, might just have like the equipment that they have, the materials that they have, maybe bamboo in their yard or scrap lumber or something. Um, but, but, but yeah, sort of as the project developed and I, and I saw that, oh, wow, yeah, you know, you could frame a house, not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be that hard, um, to frame a house using, using these techniques. I, 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 I like had the fantasy as somebody who is sort of trained in CAD and, and worked in a, in a very hyper-specialized form of um, computer-designed, computer-produced um, architectural work, um, uh, a mode that was you know, elegant and, and structural, but also kind of flipped privilege a little bit so that not only like it, do you, the resources that you need to do this are like time, 
um, and access to the materials, which which are often like locally sourced materials, bamboo is is, is abundant and grows all over. But that y y actually the sk the human skills necessary and, and where you have an advantage um, are skills where you're doing like um, it's like fine motor skills where you're doing sort of man literal manufacturing um, with your hands or um, weaving or um, you know, repairing clothing, sewing clothing, that like, I don't know, th those are the people who, at least I, I envision, those are the skills that would be the biggest advantage um, in sort of developing this technique as opposed to CAD skills. And developing this technique to what end specifically? Oh yeah, so make, well whatever. Making structures make, like, like, Housing. Could be, yeah, yeah, housing, furniture, housing, lighting. Yeah. I mean, the decorative stuff, it's the easiest stuff to do right away. You can just do it immediately with these, with skewers, you know, or yeah. whatever, with straws, whatever you've got. Um, but but no, like as the structure outside is sort of an, an example, even though that, that's a temporary one, it's, it's sort of a larger scale, um, sort of shows you what, yeah, you, you ab absolutely could frame a house. Yeah. Speaking of framing houses, and uh, we were talking about the ubiquity of two by fours outside yeah. uh, and a project that you've done, Jeff, in the past. You want to tell everybody about that? Oh, okay. Uh, so I was given an opportunity to make a project at the Pasadena Earth Arts Festival uh, in cooperation with the Armory Center in Pasadena. And um, I had... Um, uh, basically been thinking uh, about, again, some ideas very connected to Jake's ideas, which is the idea of open-ended play. And uh, I'm very interested in kind of what one gets, what, the things that one passively inherits in the world, you know, language, uh, prefabricated kits, things that are kind of ready-made objects. Uh, and so... Um, I was, uh, you know, we've been going through a housing crisis, if you haven't heard, and I, um, uh, I found, you know, and, and as a recent homeowner, I found how much energy I had been putting into basically uh, preserving my own, you know, the shelter over my own head. And so I, I literally had been uh, thinking, well, what could I have done with my life or what could I have done with my energy had I not been you know, you know, focusing on my own housing. Uh, and it really came down to this one, you know, kind of this fundamental question of like, what other things could you do if you weren't working on sustenance level uh, kind of issues? And so uh, for that festival, I, I thought, well, if we had the basic building blocks of a house, which is a two by four, and the most standardized prefabricated product one can get, which also builds an infinite variety of things, I was like, well, what, what else could we build with a two by four? So I organized this project called What Can You Build With a House? And I had um, uh, a local hardware store uh, donate for one day uh, an entire mile of lumber, which is by linear foot, uh, the amount of uh, two by fours it would take to build the average new California home. A mile. A mile of lumber. Uh, and um, it, there's some very sloppy math in there because, but at any rate, <laughs> sure. it's, it would it's be a, an amazing still, coincidence. It, it was exactly uh, there, a mile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not all 
pieces of wood in a in house, house are two sure. by four. Are two by four. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of sloppy math in there. So it was but an approximation. Okay. So we had uh, I had the entire you know quantity of a house delivered for a one day outdoor festival, and there's a 60 foot circle in the middle of a park. And I had some plants, uh, i.e. not growing plants, but I had some communities that I had been working with to come in and work with me. Other than that, the workshop was open to the general public. So I had some youth groups, some were at-risk youth who had been affected by uh, some of the, uh, the housing issues in the last couple of years, some were young architect students, uh, some were just school groups and volunteers. By every, we had a whole bunch of groups come in and with a mile of lumber, we, I invited them to come stack arrange, play, and create alternative forms with these two-by-fours. And uh, There were some amazing structures that came out of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Truly. And there was very few prompts. I said, well, you could think of it as sculpture. You could think of it as a, uh, as a to build a rudimentary structure. You could also think about it symbolically. What would you want? Like if you wanted a church or if you wanted a chair or if you wanted other sorts of things that they could think about it symbolically or practically or formally and but with very few prompts then people just came and build, built whatever they they wanted to to make within a six hour you know day yeah. uh, and um, you know basically you know we would as soon as one project would be built and that team would leave another project another group would come in and kind of disassemble that and it would turn into something else so so this mile of lumber kind of changed in piles and form all day long for six hours. And you know, there were a couple images on your website that uh, really kind of blew my mind. There was one collection of say, maybe like 32 by fours that looked just like pickup sticks. But then you looked at it and you realized it was kind of a, a, like highly arranged. Was this a project that Jake did? It actually was. <laughs> Jake <laughs> came <what>? and visited. <laughs> yeah. So because it was it Jake was, stole the show again. It was the most random. <laughs> it looked it looked like a random like just some two by fours overlaid in a little pile like a little dome, and then there's an image of I guess you probably standing on top of the the on top of the structure, and uh, you know. And uh, it looked like it was a, I don't know, it's a structure that looked like it was going to fall apart in a second, but there was no resistance. It didn't look like there were any, like, even ties. It was just simply the way the two by fours overlaid in this somewhat chaotic, but obviously not chaotic structure. It was kind of brilliant. It was really gorgeous, that, that one image of you standing on top of this, like, collection of 32 by fours, you know, and then and not, you not falling down. <laughs> that was nice. And all through friction, which I thought was really amazing. Yeah. That just... and, and that wasn't these these uh, forms. No, no, that that was actually, there's a, I think there's a picture um, from that of like me looking at my phone. I'm, I'm copying a Leonardo da Vinci drawing. So that's, that's a, that's a, which I, you know, it was this great opportunity to, to Jeff, of Jeff doing this incredible project um, where not only did he like, not only did he manage to like get all this material, which yeah. is just awesome. Yeah, we didn't talk yeah. about that at all, that you got people to donate a mile's worth. Of well, for one day. Technically, uh, it was buy and return, as many artists do. <laughs> what do you mean? The very, the very difference was I was upfront about them, that, that I was going to do it and that I would pay for... Uh, you know, delivery costs both ways. Oh, well, so yeah. essentially, it was a buy and return. Sorry, uh, 
No, it was just one more example of you like creating this space and like, find, finding know, a way to, to get to, around. To, yeah, and and for it to be you know integrated. Yeah, right. You know, it's like he was in, like it, it was in a park uh, opposite the armory. I think the armory was an institution was involved mm-hmm. like in yeah. in the project that he worked with. Uh, you know, a large cor- corporate uh, supplier up front, like to make to make this thing happen, and then just created this totally anarchist space yeah. with lumber. I mean, with kids with lumber, like it was incredible. Yeah. And people were just swinging <laughs> two by fours around, and nobody, not a single. I didn't see any injuries. I didn't it, feel unsafe at all. I felt safer on that construction site than on most active construction sites that I've been on. And when was that project? That was the... Uh, I believe it was in... Uh, uh, Fall June. of 2013? No. It was, okay. a, it was in May, I believe. Okay. Early, May or June of this year, 2014. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, very recent. I don't want to get too far in before we start talking about dark matter. And uh, maybe we could have Jeff explain... What that is, because you explained to it to us okay. outside, and okay. then how it ties into Jake's work. So I'll, I'll contextualize this right. because uh, I think you know uh, Jake had been playing around in in the shed, and that's not a pejorative; that's a celebration <laughs> with uh, you know forms and how to move forward and construction methods. And I think he was kind of as he was kind of getting to kind of more of a capstone project. He was kind of trying to gather some more site-specific information, and he had two ideas. Uh, or he asked about, you know, well, you know, my partner Christopher O'Leary uh, lives here with me, as well as uh, Michael Contopoulos, who's another artist. And he was he had noticed that uh, Chris and Mike uh, play some games sometimes, like board games, and uh, and so he was like, well, what if we what if I thought about a, a Go board game, like a, a three-dimensional, the, the, the classic board game Go, and for Mike, and include that in the show? And, and he's like, well, what would me, Chris be interested in? And I, we talked a bit about photography and about cyanotypes, and ultimately it came out that uh, Chris has been working on um, a project focusing on dark matter, but ultimately documenting the kind of the, the economic and political infrastructure of these giant science experiments that document and explore unseen things, like the mechanism of, of, of achieving these unperceptible phenomenon. So Chris had been researching dark matter, and then I suggested to Jake, well, Chris is really into dark matter right now. What, a, what about that as a concept? Thinking that this is the kind of thing that like, doesn't connect to anything else, um, oh, but it does. It does. So uh, now I am not a dark matter specialist, so I will attempt to explain. You're going to do better than at least two out of the three other people. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, essentially dark matter is a large percentage of the actual matter in the known universe, but it is largely imperceptible. Uh, it is only, it was originally only inferred that it existed through uh, some uh, some math that didn't pencil out in th- in the realm of, of the physics of the cosmos, and I believe the, the 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 critical kind of question came about, or the discovery, or the theory of it came about from 
the fact that it, if we agree that there's a Big Bang, that gives us two, two directions that the universe can play out. One, that it expands and goes out and out and out and out uh, and uh, exponentially goes faster and faster until the Big Bang is, I don't know what you call it, but the, the vast you know, expanse. Everything leaves, basically. Uh, and then the other theory would be that the universe reaches a critical mass uh, or a critical expansion and then snaps back. And the neither big crunch. Of, the big crunch. They call it, yeah. And neither of those same things seem to be happening. So, so scientists theorize that there was this other matter of which they called dark matter, which exerted a gravity upon the matter that we know of. And it is, you know, a huge amount of the amount of actual matter in the universe. I don't know the math. One of our conversation we just said, someone threw out 85%. I yeah. read that somewhere. Yeah, okay. In, <laughs> it's on the lot. cereal box right. of some, you know, whatever. So It's more than for, an un, for a largely unknown substance or whatever and it is. It's and imperceptible. And imperceptible. Like, yeah. it's a lot. It's and more than do, 50%. And they do actually now have mechanisms that uh, can perceive dark matter. So, uh, at any rate, so that's what Chris is photo photographing. And so anyway, so I brought that idea up to Jake and then... A day or two passed and I got a call from Jake and I think I didn't return it immediately and he was like oh my god Jeff you really need to call me back <laughs> so I called him back and uh, why don't you tell me Jake what you you found oh yeah sure well so yeah I was out of town I was I was in Michigan um, uh, on vacation at the time and um, yeah and I talked to Jeff and he, he specifically told me to look up Cygnus um, which is a which is a constellation, and, and it is a you know it's a constant Cygnus the Swan. Because from our point of view, all dark matter is is coming from Cygnus or going to Cygnus. I'm not sure, but at any rate, so that's why Cygnus is important. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cygnus from our from our point on Earth, Cygnus is a good important observation point for dark matter. Um, and it was really interesting. There, there was um, initially a lot of stuff on the pyramids, some like uh, sort of outsider anthropology stuff on the pyramids. It's that really generous of you. It was, was really interesting. It was really interesting, you know? Um, but whatever, not, not that interesting. And um, on one of those sites, I found, like in scanning, I found this image that like popped out at me um, of two octahedra uh, joined point to point. Which is exactly the method of which you constructed the majority of your projects here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the system. I, I had decided, uh, I have a lot of systems. I decided on that system for the principal structure here um, just not too long before. Um, so yeah, I was really surprised because it's, I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's kind of exotic and kind of new to see forms put together in that way. And um, so I looked into it a little bit more and found that there is a, a totally legit, if, I mean, not necessarily mainstream, but totally legit uh, theory, um, astrophysics theory on the large scale structure of the universe. So the, the sort of this idea is that, um, so the dark, dark matter is this material that interacts with, can that say, regular matter in, in a different way than regular matter interacts with itself. So like there's gravity, but like light interacts with it differently and 
you know, it's, it's hard to detect and, and all that stuff. Um, so in this kind of developmental model of the universe that we have when we talk about the, the Big Bang, it's a developmental model, um, there, there is a, a period in the beginning when everything is all one thing, very hot, concentrated thing, and the Big Bang happens, and different kinds of particles sort of emerge at the early periods and, and then are annihilated when the conditions for their existence change. Um, the, there's a residual structure um, and sort of the idea is that there are these, these filaments, these large-scale filaments of dark matter that are like the artifacts of this, this early period of, of expansion and annihilation. Um, and then the, the dark, the, 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 the sort of concentrations of matter that we experience as galaxies and galactic clusters that are composed of regular matter and dark matter together, um, they sort of, yeah, they kind of, kind of crystallize along, along these filaments. So that's, so I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's a Spaniard. He's from Granada. He lives in Puerto Rico. His name is spelled B-A-T-T-N-E-R, and his first name is Edward. Um, so, so it's his theory that that, that large-scale structure is composed of these point-to-point -point octahedra, uh, and not only... And so the, the, the lines between, the, 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 the lines that form the octahedra are the filaments that you mentioned, Yeah, right? the lines, like, the those lines... Are the, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The lines are the film. Yeah, there's like a little behind Jeff, there's like a model hanging up. You can't actually see the dark matter in that. The, the black would be like regular matter. We'll put a picture of it on the people's blog. Yeah. 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 It, that's, that's, yeah so that's just a rendering of the initial illustration that I found. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's like, yeah, at these um, different points along mm -hmm. these, this octahedral grid, um, there are these crystallizations. There's matter. And then, matter, matter and dark, and, and, and dark, and dark matter, matter, both. Okay. More dark matter, like it, it you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, Everything else, like the volume that that shape creates, is empty. Well, that's exactly, and, that, and that, yeah. that's like one, empirically, one of the reasons why they were looking for a structure is because it, you could empirically identify these void spaces. Mm -hmm. So there are these massive void spaces in between the largest Stuff. scale structures yeah. and trying to make sense of the pattern of those voids is what led to this well initially a a, a, a honey a, a, a chessboard like the initial suggestion was the early 80s by this guy tully and it was a, a like a, an alternating chessboard a, a cubic array of solid cube empty cube solid cube empty cube right um and then somebody, another, another, another guy, Estonian guy, uh, in the 90s suggested, well, maybe it's just a different kind of honeycomb structure, which is sort of a generic geometric term for like any three-dimensional space-filling pattern. Um, and, then, and then Batner is how I'm pronouncing it. I know it's wrong. <laughs> Close um, enough. Yeah. Uh, so much respect for him. Um, suggested this octahedral model that is not only point-to-point -point octahedra, but it's, it's fractal octahedra. Yeah. And that was like incredibly exciting um, because one of the first sort of math discoveries that came out of this simple stick work 
were uh, the capacity to, to draw fractal octahedra, which is like that one. Yeah, we can have a, we should have a picture of that pink. We'll have pictures of all of it. And yeah. I hate to be a wet blanket, mm -hmm. which I'm a professional at, <laughs> but we're out of time. I mean, we can leave it with uh, JQ accidentally creating models of the universe. Uh, <laughs> We can leave it right there, but Jeff, Jake, thanks for being on The People. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. You've been listening to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. Our theme music is Oc Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And we're going to go out with a track by the band Axe Crown from Pasadena, California musician Andrew Cox. This is an unreleased track from the forthcoming album, and you can find Axe Crown on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And the name of the song is Overturn. <laughs>